Well, good morning, everybody. Turn to your neighbor and say good morning and smile while you do it. It's good for you. And Lord, as we open your holy word, we just ask that you would make clear what we need to understand. Change us today. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 10. We're talking about the bittersweet book. Repeat that, please. The bitter sweet book. Hold your Bibles up. Did you bring them? Let's see them. Did you bring them? Good, 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 good. Right before I read this passage, uh, let me just give you a couple of heads up. We are learning together as we go chapter by chapter through the book of Revelation. And uh, nobody understands all this completely. This is a very, very deep well. And I urge you to read and study on your own. I will not tell you what to believe. I will not try to explain every single thing because there's nobody on earth that can explain everything. So there's a lot of freedom as we read and study this together. Now, Let's start reading in chapter 10, verse 1. Today I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. You ready? Everyone say ready. Ready. John wrote, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud. Now pay attention to every phrase. With a rainbow over his head and his face was like the sun. His legs were like pillars of fire. He had a little book or a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. How big was this angel? Let's try as big as Texas. Do you know why it's a little book? Because if you're 500 feet tall, any book is a little book in his hand. And he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And he called out, the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders had sounded, it was, I was about to write. And a voice from heaven saying, seal up. Everyone say seal up. What the seven thunders have said. And do not write it down. And the angel who I saw standing on the sea and on the land. Raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever. Who created heaven and what is in it. And earth and what is in it. And the sea and what is in it. That there would be no more delay. But in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, what number? The mystery, everyone say mystery, of God would be fulfilled just as it was announced to his servants, the prophets. Now, I took a pen in my Bible. I drew a straight line between what we just read and the next section because it changes and turns. Then the voice that I'd heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll, which is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel I told him to give me the little book and he said to me something very unusual, take and eat it. It'll make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, it'll be sweet as honey. So I took the little book from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I'd eaten it in my stomach, it was made bitter I love this passage. This passage is so dear to me. I was three weeks in Israel and Jordan, and Israel gave me a huge blessing. I love Jerusalem, and Jerusalem gave me COVID while I was there. I didn't think I could get it twice, but I got it. 
And I got to stay in an expensive hotel room looking out the window for a long, long time. It was wonderful. It's not the way to see the land of the Bible. And then the last night I was in Jordan. There was a wonderful buffet at this hotel on the Dead Sea. And the Jordanians had looked after us royally. We'd even met with the king of Jordan while we were there. And I got to pray for him, which was pretty cool. But the last night, this beautiful hotel, beautiful buffet. I mean, there was counter after counter after counter of food. And that's my kind of place. Salads, fruit, vegetables, fish, cheese, bread, soup. I enjoyed all of it. But the nation of Jordan left me a little blessing somewhere on the lettuce or on the cheese. Because the rest of the night... I was secluded in my little prayer closet in my hotel room. <laughs> and I struggled for the, the five days I was home. So I love this passage. You eat it, it'll be sweet. And later on you'll be going, oh, I wish I wouldn't have eaten that. Bless the Lord. Verse 11, and I was told you must again prophesy about the many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So let's walk through what we've already studied in this series. In the book of Revelation, there are three three series of judgments coming to unrepentant earth. The first one is the seven seals. Please say seven seals. We've already studied that. A seal is wax put on a legal document and as Jesus opened each chapter a seal was broken and then we have studied the next series the seven trumpets say seven trumpets judgments and we've studied six of the seven there's one remaining and then the seven bowl judgments are to come each series of judgments gets more intense on purpose. Now chapter 10, what I, that I just read, we read together, serves as an interlude. Everyone say interlude, not inner tube. That's a different thing. Interlude. And it's between the sixth trumpet judgment and the seventh. Now, why, Pastor Steve, is chapter 10 different? Uh, does anybody recognize this location in your city? And do you recognize this piece of machinery? What is the little piece of machinery? That is a drone. It is a drone view of what road? And Alexandria Drive. Okay. So what chapter 10 is? We've been watching it at street level. Now the Lord is pausing and we're zooming out so we can see broader and more deeply. This is even drawing back even further. This is a satellite image. Can anybody find Nicholasville on there? How many think you see it? Does anybody see Nicholasville? What we just read, chapter 10, is about, it's a called a parenthetical chapter. Why, Steve? I don't have a clue. The purpose is the Lord is giving us a 30,000 foot view of what's been going on. It's kind of a pause. And the reason is, when we draw back the picture, the, the body of Christ, God's people should be comforted by what they see. That's what's going on. The purpose is to show God's people that the Lord is still in control. Even though really difficult things are happening, the Lord is saying, I got this. I'm in control. Don't sweat, don't cry, don't fret. I have this. My people 
will emerge victoriously. Now, John saw another angel. Everyone say another angel coming down out of heaven. And some commentators say, this is the Lord Jesus. And I get that. There's about four, five, six reasons why people would say that's the Lord Jesus appearing as an angel of the Lord that happened in the Old Testament. I don't think it is Jesus for this reason. John's words exactly are another angel. And the Greek word for another means the same kind. This is a created being. Even though a powerful, majestic, wise being. And in the book of Revelation, there's over 60 separate references to angels. Angels are super beings. When a human dies, they do not become an angel. They are separate categories. We have guardian angels that watch after us. Heirs are, angels are ministering spirits sent to help the heirs of salvation. Probably in this room, we have angels helping us even today. And when you were in your toughest situation, you probably had invisible help you didn't even know was there with you. Now this particular super being is clothed in a cloud. A cloud is one of the references to the presence of God. In Exodus, when God's people were told to move in the Sinai, the cloud of God's presence would move forward. They were led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. When it was time to stop, the cloud stopped and they stopped. Whenever God's spirit tells you to stop, you should stop. When he tells you to go, when he tells you to do something, you should do that. Now, at Church of the Savior, we love God's presence. Someone say amen. God's presence can be very, very, very sweet. Yesterday morning, I'm studying at my desk. It's about six o'clock in the morning. I have a cup of coffee. I got a lot going on, a lot of responsibility, a lot of things I'm trying to get done. And the most wonderful thing happened, God's sweet presence filled the room where I was. And all of a sudden, I just had such great joy. My faith was lifted. And I just broke into prayer saying, Lord, thank you for being so kind to me. I actually had a tear run down my cheek because he, I felt like he just pulled up a chair right beside me. And how many have had that happen to you where you're driving to work or you're, you're in a situation and it just, you just feel the tender presence of the Lord. Now the scripture goes on to say, that a rainbow was upon his head or above his head, which shows me the Father's heart of mercy. We've already studied the throne of God, which has a massive rainbow around it. And when the Lord brought judgment to the earth through the flood, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives and all these animals were in this mighty ship. And I've been to Armenia I've seen Mount Ararat where that ship came down. And the Lord told Noah this. You see, my bow I put in the sky. So you and your family will always know I will never, ever, ever destroy the earth with a flood. Because I make my promise and my promise is good. Next, we see that the angel's face was so brilliant, shining, beaming. It was like looking at the sun. You couldn't hardly even see his features. His feet were like pillars of fire, symbolizing his firm commitment to carry out God's mission. I pray your feet are firm to do what God's asked you to do and to fulfill your commitments and the things he's asked. In the angel's hand was a little book. Everyone say a little book. What's the little book? Is it the Bible? 
I don't think so. Could be. I think it is the Father's plan, which may have part of the scriptures in it. Well, what would be in the Father's plan? It's the book of Revelation. First, to bring glory to his son, Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do here. That's what I want to do. When I was 20 years of age, the Lord called me to vocational ministry. I was a lifeguard at Myrtle Beach, and the verse he gave me for the rest of my life, I pray you all have a verse for your life. Ask him to give you one. Is John 17, 4. Jesus prayed it in the upper room. It said, I have glorified you on earth, Father, and accomplished what you've given me to do. And that is the driving force behind my life. And then the little book, I believe, is God's plan to deal with Satan and all rebels and all evil. Once and for all, the word is permanently. Everyone say permanently. Won't you be glad when there's no more confusion, no more lying, no more murder, no more assault, all that, no more war. And then to bring pressure on mankind to repent of their sin. Think about your family. Think about your classmates. What percent of people in America really have no time for God, have no heart for God, do not want anybody telling them what to do, their lives are a total mess, and the book of Revelation is about God ramping up the pressure to cause men to repent of their sin before it is too late. You notice this is at the back of the Bible. This is the last three and a half years of earth's history as we know it. There's a lot worse things than dying. The worst thing is to die without Christ. The worst thing is to die unforgiven. The worst thing is to die with you thinking you're the Lord of your life. And then number four. The Father wants to take back what belongs to him, and that is planet Earth. You say he owns it, but Satan has the lease that Adam and Eve gave him. Jesus told a lot of stories about this. He said there was a king that went on a journey. And before he left, he gave his top servants responsibility and gifts and saying, I'm going away, but I will come back. Tell me what you have done when I come back with what I gave you. Did you know he is coming back, right? Physically, he is coming back. The king, the Lord Jesus. So next we see in the passage, this angel shouted with the force of the roar of a majestic 500 pound lion. Following the shout, not real thunder, but seven voices of seven angelic leaders cried out in succession. It sounded like thunder to John. But John understood the message of these seven leaders. And he was about to write them down because in chapter one, Jesus tells John to write everything down. And with his pen in his hand, another voice said, stop. Do not write down what I'm saying. Now, why would the voice tell John not to write them down? Because of meaning of the messages were for later. They're not for us. They are not for now. Now there's a wonderful verse in Deuteronomy. Would you would you say it with me please? 29, 29. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and his children 
forever. There's a lot of things in life we simply don't need to know. And some of you are wound so tight. You have so much internal pressure that you feel like you just have to have the answer to everything. Can I tell you what, sweetheart? You don't need the answer to everything. You couldn't handle the answer. And God's not going to give it to you because it would only hurt you. So he's saving a lot of things for later. So John saw this colossal angel. He's got one foot on the sea. Do you believe this to be a physical angel? Absolutely. A foot on the sea and a foot on the land. Why, Steve? What's going on? Again, remember, zoom back so you can see bigger. The enemy in chapter 10 of Revelation has taken much of the sea, much of the countries, much of the government, much of the air, and the Lord is sending a message. The devil, the devil is a usurper. He's taken what does not belong to him He's a pretender. He is a squatter because this super being shows us that all creation belongs to the Lord. Someone say amen. amen. And you belong to the Lord. And he's got you in the hollow of his hand and you're good. You're safe. He's got you. So stop worrying. Pray and act. Don't worry. Worry just paralyzes you and causes you to make poor decisions. So this angel raised his right hand. His right hand could have been 500 feet tall. I don't know. Raised his right hand. And he swore an oath to the father. And the oath was no more delay. The time of delay is gone. New time in heaven, new time on earth. So Revelation chapter 10, this is like a door opening. This is a hinge point. This is where history changes. The waiting is over. Now this verse from 2 Peter chapter 3, would you repeat it with me please? The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. He cares, but there will come a time his patience is over. You see, God has delayed his judgment over the centuries and over the millennia, but the window of redemption is soon Drawing to a close. I would urge you to learn to share the gospel. We need to talk to people about Jesus. We need to tell them how they can find heaven. How they can find peace with God. Statistics say only 5% of American Christians have ever led anybody to Jesus. Is that you? 5%. Spring and fall, through evangelism explosion, 12 weeks, we train people to share the gospel. We've turned out hundreds of soul winners here. On the plane going over, there was a handsome young man sat right beside me. I had Two big boys on either side of me. One was a professional tennis player. And the other one was a, was a basketball player from Serbia. He was 26 years of age. Started conversations with the basketball player. We talked about an hour. He came to America from Serbia as an exchange student to play basketball. He did not grow up Christian but he landed with a Christian family and a pastor's family. And he said, in that pastor's family, they took me to church and I heard the gospel and I'm a follower of Christ because of that American family. Someone say, thank the Lord. 
One guy that rode on me, rode on me, rode with me. They could have rode on me. He was a young guy, 35 years of age. He had served in Iraq and in Afghanistan. He was, he worked for a large heating and air company and he traveled in all 50 states selling commercial jobs, probably did really well. Plot young man, he helped me find a place for my bag when I didn't think I could find one. So we connected and we talked. He was raised Roman Catholic and we were just talking about his job and his family and things in life. Then he told me he had to leave the military against his will because they discovered three heart murmurs. And I couldn't train like I used to. And I said, well, Lord, maybe I need to share the gospel with this man. So I shared the gospel. It was in his head, but he didn't understand. But we had a great visit and I gave him some material. On one of my flights, I sat beside a handsome 40-year-old Jordanian, and we connected and made friends. He was a kidney doctor. What's that called? Nephrologist. Working in Las Vegas. Committed Muslim. I didn't share the gospel with him, but I loved on him, and we developed a friendship. My favorite was a young Israeli guy that sat beside me for about six hours. He was 30 years of age. He was an IT specialist who lived in France, working for an American company there. He had served in the Israeli military. We sat down and he told me right off the bat, I am an atheist. I went, wonderful. <laughs> and he said, what do you do for a living? I said, I am a Christian pastor. He said, really? <laughs> yeah. And he said, I love to talk about faith. Could we talk about faith? We have four hours. Could we talk about faith? I went, I don't know. I don't <laughs> like to do that. We talked for an hour and a half. and I, He asked me this question. What is the difference? I'm Jewish, but I'm an atheist. I said, that doesn't make any sense to me. He said, what's the difference between the faith of Jews and the faith of Christians? You know what that was? That was a walk. That was a complete open door. Tell me about Jesus. And we had the best time. He was so polite. He was so attentive. As a soul winner, you have to know when to stop. And I took him as far as I could. We got off the plane. I always have gospel tracks. And I said, can I give you a gift before we leave? He said, sure. I've got a little booklet called the Gospel of John. You've probably heard of it. And he looked at it and said, who's John? I said, well, he's, you may be related to him. He's really a great guy. There's 21 chapters. Would you read it? He said, I will read it. And we shook hands and we made friends. So you just never know what Jesus is going to do because you were, you took time to show kindness to somebody. Well, John was told to write this down, that the mystery of God was now finished. Everyone say finished. It's finished in chapter 11, verse 15, when the angel blows the seventh trumpet. What is a mystery? A mystery is an important truth that's not been revealed yet. This is an important word. When you see that word, it's a really big deal. 27 different times in the New Testament, the word mystery is shown. Four different times in the book of Revelation, the word mystery is used. I believe it is a consummation of God's eternal plan once and for all to deal with the age-old problem of evil. And the text specifically says in verse 7, declared by the prophets to God's people. This young Israeli 
IT guy, just typical of so many people who say, well, I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic. They don't even really know what it means. But he said, if God exists and God is good, how could there be so much evil in the world? I said, let me explain it to you. It's behind war that your country is going through. It is behind every selfish act. And I have the same problem and you have it too. So John was told, approach this massive super being. Go to him. Ask for him to open his hand. Take the little book out of his hand. Then do something very, very unusual. Take it and eat it. It's the very same thing that Ezekiel was told to do 600 years earlier in chapter 2. Take it and eat it. But the angel warned John, it will be sweet to your taste, but it will become bitter to your stomach as you digest it. Well, what does that imply, Steve? It shows us several things. The sweet anticipation of God's goodness and God's kingdom and rights becoming permanent instead of temporary and our victory. It's going to be a sweet, sweet day. Someone say amen. Has the Lord been sweet to you? Say amen. He's been very sweet to me. But it also shows the bitterness of God's wrath that will come to all those who reject his son. That's why we should have a tear in our eye many days. That's why we should get to know our neighbors and people at school. That's why we should do an act of kindness for somebody every day. Because the Lord is coming back. And the time of repentance will be over. And then John was given the mission. Here's the mission. He's had missions since following Jesus. You know, he was probably the youngest of the 12. He was called the beloved. He had such a tender heart. He was leaning on Jesus at the Last Supper. He probably cared for Mary, the mother of Jesus, until she died. He was a driving force for the kingdom for about 50 years in what is today Turkey, where the church became strong and brilliant and glorious, all because of his leadership. But now, as a man in his 90s, 92, 93, he has another mission. And he must, the scripture says, everyone say, you must. You must prophesy. You must write down the things that are coming to many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And people all over the globe are reading chapter 10. So the applications to this is you and I need to internalize God's plan for our life. No matter how pleasant it is or no, no matter how difficult God is is the path God is leading us on. Because if we don't internalize what he's asking us to do, it won't be a part of us. It'll just be a number of a random thousand other things that are good one day we might get around to. We won't own it. And if we don't own it, we certainly won't live it. And if we don't live it, we won't carry out its call and we won't fulfill our mission because it never became a part of us. That's what ingest it, eat it, absorb it, let it engulf you. Last month was my the anniversary of my Salvation, 49 years ago, May 10th. 
best decision I have ever made because following Jesus has been rewarding, fulfilling, joyful, not always fun, but it's the best choice ever. That's why you can always look at someone, anyone, no matter where they are and smile and say, I've really got good news for you. Now, I've seen a lot of people receive Christ. and I've never had one of them say, boy, that's the worst decision I ever made. Especially wicked old men on their deathbed give their heart to Jesus two, two weeks or two days or two hours before they die. They always say the same thing. What was I thinking? I should have done this when I was a teenager. Now I'm waiting till I'm 75 and I have no energy and strength to serve him. But let's do the other side of the coin. If you follow Jesus, you will follow the Lord Jesus to the cross. And that is not fun. Say it with me from Luke 9, please. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Who wants to deny himself? Nobody. We want to take care of ourselves. Who wants to die daily? Nobody. And yet this is the secret of living. Walk with me. Follow me. Do the hard thing. Obey me for the sake of my name and others. Because following Jesus, people in China, people in the northern part of Nigeria, people in Peru who follow Jesus know how hard it is at times. Us Americans have not suffered like many of them have, but there is suffering if you follow Jesus. There is hardship if you follow Jesus. There is pain if you follow Jesus, and there is loss. It's just part of it. And we can't get surprised by it. The book is both sweet And the book is also bitter. Ryan West preached the most phenomenal sermon last week on the story of Ruth. And we look at the story of Ruth and we go, oh, what a great love story. Old guy finds a really cute wife and they get married. And when they shouldn't have had, they have a baby And the baby is a grandfather of David, that's the founder of the Messianic line. Oh, what a sweet story. It's a hard story. Because chapter one, the woman at the center of chapter one, she and her family leaves Israel to go to Moab, which is Jordan. Because there's no food and there's no water and her husband dies. It's horrible. She's a widow. And then two verses later, her only two children, they die. Her adult sons die too. It's horrible. That's how the story starts. And a lot of you have been in really, really hard places. Because you've tried to follow the Lord and how you thought it would turn out, it didn't turn out that way. And when in chapter two, Ruth and Naomi come back to Bethlehem, Naomi's hometown, people see these two women coming that way. And one of them says, that kind of resembles Naomi, but she looks kind of hard. She looks haggard. She's got more wrinkles. She looks like she's had a really tough life. And they came, they came up and said, are, are you Naomi? And here's what she says. Uh, please don't call me Naomi anymore. My name is now bitter. This young woman, Mary, that gets a call to be the mother of the Messiah It's only been eight days, not eight weeks, not eight months, eight days since the baby has been born. They come to the temple to dedicate the baby. And there's an old prophet there named Simeon. Simeon comes up and says, the Lord told me 
that I would not die till I see the hope of Israel, the Messiah. And here he is. And so he scoops the baby up. He starts prophesying and giving thanks to the Lord. And then he turns to this young woman, what, 14, 16, and says, I'm sorry, your, your child has been appointed for the rise and fall of many powerful people. And his whole life, he will be opposed. And you're going to take it on the chin because it's your boy. And then he says this. There's a lot of times you will feel like somebody will take a dagger and run it right between your ribs and never pull it out. One of my heroes, I've talked about him before, is this guy. Anybody know who this is? This is John Bunyan, pastor. He died at age 60 doing a pastoral call in the rain to help a father and son get along. We were arguing. He got a cold and he got pneumonia and he was dead. John Bunyan wrote the very first English novel. It's called The Pilgrim's Progress. It has been translated into 200 different languages. And for a book, it's very unusual. It has never, ever, ever been out of print for all these years. It's an allegory of what a Christian's life is like. And there's a lot of hard, difficult things in the Pilgrim's Progress because it is a journey. And you may not know this. It is the second most best-selling book in the history of the world. Do you know what the best-selling book is? The Bible. You say, great, I would love to write a book that would be a bestseller that would help millions, hundreds of millions of Christians. Let me write a book. Let me go to Israel and give me a nice place in the oasis so I can write a great book. Uh, he was on his knees praying one day at his home when the police came to him and said, you're going to prison. Why am I going to prison? You're going to prison because you have been preaching the gospel without authorization from the Anglican church. You've got a little tiny separatist church and it is illegal. You must be Anglican and you cannot preach, sir. So when he was taken off to jail, you see, he had already buried his first wife and left as a widower to raise four small children. And he'd married again, and this young wife was pregnant with her first child, and as soon as he went to prison, she lost the baby. And there was no means to support her and the children. And the officials there in the town, said this, John Bunyan, Pastor Bunyan, if you will just promise not to preach the gospel, we will let you out. And you can go home and be with your children. You can be with your wife tonight. Will you promise not to preach the gospel? And this man of conviction said, you're asking me to do the impossible. I've been called pastor and to preach the gospel. So he spent 12 years in a filthy cell. He made shoelaces while in prison to sell through the bars to keep his family alive. I want to say, friends, there's a lot of sweet things in life, but there's a lot of bitter, hard things for everybody. We live in a fallen world, and there's seasons when life is wonderful. There's seasons for everybody, and maybe the closer you get to Jesus, the harder life will be. the more loss you will sustain. But as your shepherd, your friend, I would just say, don't give up. Everyone say it. Don't. One more time, say it. 
Don't give up. Don't stop trusting God. If you stop trusting God, you are dead in the water. And whatever God tells you to do, you do it. Get up and put one foot in front of the other one. Do the right thing. Whether you feel like it, whether you think it'll work or not, get up and obey God. And you may want to jot this Bible verse down because when you're going through difficulty, Romans 5 verses 3 through 5 tells you why we have tribulation and pressure and hardship. And it is actually the hard things that make us. The greater your call, the more hard things you will have to go through. As we, as we sit here today, there are millions of Christians in America, in America that essentially they just lost their faith. They've been disappointed. They've been heartbroken. They've listened to lies. They've gone off course. They no longer pray. They no longer read their Bible. They no longer are in church. They don't have a church family. There's thousands around us. How do you know that? I talk to them every week. And Paul tells us what's happened. Their faith has suffered shipwreck. You drifted. And got yourself away from God. Now just remember, this world is not our home. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. We live in a world where there are real enemies, real spiritual invisible enemies who absolutely hate us. And their heart is to take us out and pull us away from God. The scripture says in First Peter that we need to stay alert because we have an adversary, an adversary is somebody that hates you, that knows where you live, that's delivered a note to your house saying, my, my plan is to take you out and destroy you. Stay close. This is a really big problem. Worship team, would you guys come out, please? Just keep in mind, this world is not our home. We are just a passing through. Stay close to the Lord. Be faithful, especially when things are difficult, hard, and disappointing. You must get very close. Let the bitter things, let the hard things draw you to the Lord instead of push you away from the Lord. And you will find him every single time. As you draw near to him, he will draw near to you and feed your faith. If you don't feed your faith, nobody can feed your faith for you. You have to do it. Time in the scriptures. I read through the scripture every single year. I've done it for 50 years. Develop your prayer life. Walk with the Lord. Learn to fight and learn to win. We resist darkness. We do not cave in to darkness. And last, like John, this has been my prayer for myself today. Like John, who had a really, really hard life. He's honored in heaven, but he had a really, really difficult life. Complete your mission. Don't let anything take you off course. Don't stay discouraged for more than about a half a day or a day. Get back up on your feet. Walk with the Lord. Stay close to him. Because God's got a call for every single one of us. I want to close this time in prayer. This is the most important time in this service. Because we trust the Holy Spirit speaks every, every time we open the word. Every time we worship, he speaks. 
I don't know what he said to you, but I know what he said to me. So every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, today we just acknowledge your goodness. We say we trust you. When we don't like it, when we don't understand, when things are going horribly, we still trust you because we know you're going to see us through. Now, Lord, speak to every heart today and tell us what you want us to do. And Father, for those that have suffered loss, those in a hard place, those that are confused, may they come and find solace with you today. Come to the altar this morning, friends. Let the Lord help you.
because he wanted to release a blessing over each one of you as his children. And we're going to sing the blessing right now and just posture your heart in a way to be able to receive the Lord's love this morning. Children and their children and their children may his face. 
in a thousand generations in your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he is with you your father he created you but you have to ask him you have to ask his son to be your lord and savior if you're ready to do that why don't you pray with me right now it'll change your life just let go of everything and surrender and say heavenly father i need you i confess jesus christ to be my lord and savior today i surrender everything to you Give me a home in heaven. Guide my steps and make me your child. Because today, today, I join your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you made that decision, there's people here to pray with you. Or if you're online, you can find our address right into us. And we'll do all we can to help you. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Serve well. Pick up your children. Thank you. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you are encouraged to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take the next step. Please visit our website for more information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. 
There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.